أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters and welcome to another episode of the life of Prophet Muhammad so we've completed our discussion on the battle of Badr where the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims uh, achieved a decisive victory. We also spoke about the, the changing of the Qibla, which took place immediately after the Battle of Badr. And now, the next thing that's often mentioned in the, the Seerah of the Prophet is the expulsion of Banu Qaynuqa', the expulsion of one of the three major Jewish tribes in Medina. What we see in the seerah is that the, the tensions, there were rising tensions between the Jewish community and the Muslim community, unfortunately. And as, we, we, as, we, as we've indicated, when the Prophet ﷺ relocated to Medina, he made an effort to reach out to the various groups. He uh, formulated the constitution of Medina. He outlined the rights and the responsibilities and the expectations. The Prophet ﷺ gave a great deal of autonomy to the Jewish tribes. They had a pact and they were all to live in Medina, treat each other with respect. If there was a, a threat to the city, they would come together and they would protect and defend. They would not collude uh, against each other. They would not collude with any, any enemies of the, of the, the Signa, the, the, you know, those who've uh, signed the treaty. So all of these clauses were in place. They had an understanding. They had a social contract, essentially. But unfortunately, this social contract did not prevent... Uh, these tensions. So looking at the, the landscape in Medina, we mentioned that there are three main tribes living in Medina. Banu Nadir, Banu Quraida, and Banu Qaynuqa'. Now, the majority of the, the Jews in Medina were farmers. They had purchased, they'd, they owned the best farmland in Medina. However, Banu Qaynuqa' was a Jewish tribe that consisted of craftsmen and blacksmiths. So Banu, Banu Nadir uh, and Banu Quraidha, for the most part, they were farmers. Their industry was farming. Banu Qaynuqa', they, they specialized in, uh, in, uh, in the production of uh, metals, they, they produced gold, silver. They had an abundance of arms which made them the most militarized Jewish colony in Medina. So when we speak about the expulsion of Banu Qaynuqa', it's helpful for us to kind of give a little bit of a background. So because Banu Qaynuqa' did business primarily in gold and silver. They were gold and silver smiths, not farmers. 
they were naturally uh, one, you know, arguably the most powerful Jewish tribe in Medina. They were uh, signatories in the Medina Charter. Ibn Ishaq, in his Sirah, he mentions that after the Battle of Badr, Banu Qaynuqa, and perhaps the other Jewish tribes as well, but particularly Banu Qaynuqa were saddened at the loss of the Quraysh and at the victory of the Muslims. You know, Banu Nadir and Banu Quraydha, they probably did a better job at concealing and hiding their uh, frustration, hiding their, their sadness over Quraysh's defeat. But Banu Qaynuqa, they were pretty open about uh, their feelings about the Battle of Badr. Ibn Ishaq in his Sirah, unfortunately he doesn't go into too much detail. He has about a page or maybe even less than a page about the expulsion of Banu Qaynuqa from Medina. He, he simply says uh, in passing that the Banu Qaynuqa they increased in their hostility against Islam, you know, after the battle of Badr. So when the Prophet ﷺ returns to Medina, you know, the Prophet is already hearing that, you know, the, the Jewish tribes harbor this enmity and animosity towards him and, and his followers. And, you know, he receives news that they were frustrated and they were upset about Quraysh's defeat. And therefore, on, and in the Prophet ﷺ, it seems that he even had received intelligence that they were colluding with Quraysh. So the Prophet ﷺ, he goes to the marketplace of Banu Qaynuqa. You know, they had their own business district they lived on the out their their district was on the outskirts of medina so the prophet decides to go and speak to them and have a frank conversation about these the tensions and the animosity that exists between the jews and the muslims so the prophet he gathered all of the banu qaynuqa together so this massive jewish tribe they come out to meet the Prophet. And the Prophet ﷺ, he admonishes them about their attitude. You know, why are you so upset that our enemies were defeated? You know, at the end of the day, we are all residents of Medina. And it, it worried the Prophet that it seems that they were emotionally uh, aligned with Quraysh. The Prophet ﷺ, furthermore, he reminds them that you know that we have an agreement. He reminds them of the the relevant clauses in the constitution of Medina, and the Prophet also invites them to Islam. At the end of the day, the Prophet knows that in their own books, in their own scriptures, there are vivid descriptions of the final messenger of God. So the Prophet invites them to accept Islam. The narrations mention that they scoffed at his offer. And in fact, they challenged the Prophet and the Muslims to a fight. 
So you, you get a sense of the, the insolence of Banu Qaynuqa. So the Prophet ﷺ is trying to have a conversation with them about their alleged treachery, about the information that he's gathered about their behavior, about how they're saddened over Quraysh's defeat. So the Prophet ﷺ, he invites them to Islam. He reminds them of the Medina Charter. And their response is, let's fight. If you have an issue with us, let's go to blows. So they say to him, Oh Muhammad, do not deceive yourself. I mean, you, you could, I mean, even the tone that they use with him is notable. Oh Muhammad, do not deceive yourself. You merely fought a party of the Quraysh who were inexperienced at war. But if you want to fight us, then know that we are an entire people. You know, we're a huge tribe. And indeed, you have not met up with anyone like us before. So they essentially threatened the Prophet that listen, you know, don't be happy, don't get excited over your defeat in Badr. You were fighting a bunch of amateurs. If you want a real fight, if you want to fight against real men, real warriors, then we're willing to fight. Now, now you may wonder, where is this enmity coming from? Why did they see the Prophet ﷺ as such a big threat? It's important to remember, brothers and sisters, that the Prophet ﷺ, when he arrived in Medina, he wasn't just bringing with him a, a set of ethical guidelines. It wasn't just a religion in the sense that, you know, this is a religion, this is a religion called Islam where we pray and fast. No. The Prophet ﷺ established a Muslim marketplace. He established a new economy. And the Prophet's market, the Muslim market that was established in Medina, charged no tax and no interest on loans. So this free market that the Prophet ﷺ established was, became a point of conflict between him and Banu Qaynuqa because the Jews, the Banu Qaynuqa, they had a monopoly on the market. So the Prophet ﷺ, one of the, one of the things that he does in Medina is that he gives the Muslims economic independence. The Muslims are not dependent on the the Banu Qaynuqa, and this bothered them. And in fact, one of the things that frustrated them is the fact that you know one of the reasons why Banu Qaynuqa were aligned with Quraysh, they were sympathetic towards Quraysh, is because they they were gold and sil they were uh, gold and silversmiths and their main customer base was Quraysh so from their perspective the prophet is fighting against our most loyal customers and we're not able to make money off of this guy because he's established his own market a tax free market and the, the Jews were making a lot of money from taxes, from taxing uh, consumers. They were making a lot of money for, uh, from their high interest loans. 
the Prophet establishes his own economy. Now, of course, the Prophet did not do this to antagonize the Jews. The Prophet he simply wanted to close the gap between the rich and the poor. But of course, Banu Qaynuqa uh, interpreted that uh, as a type of uh, economic warfare. Now, as we've as I've already mentioned, you know, why did the Prophet visit Banu Qaynuqa after Badr? To determine the truth about what was going on. Because the Prophet receives information that the Jews in Medina, Banu Qaynuqa in particular, they are not being loyal to their contract, to that pact. They're colluding with the Prophet's enemies. So the Prophet doesn't want to rely on hearsay. He goes and confronts them. And the Prophet doesn't want Banu Qaynuqa to think that they can just do as they please. No, they're, they, they're, they have a contract that is binding. This is a binding agreement. So the Prophet he pays them that visit and he invites them to ponder over Quraysh's defeat that you know we're not pacifists. We care deeply about the safety and the prosperity of our community. And we're not going to turn a blind eye to treason. Now, of course, the threatening tone from them confirmed the Prophet's suspicions. That's not the way that you respond unless you are unless you're guilty. So the mockery of Banu Qaynuqa, you know, when they said to the Prophet that, you know, you fought a bunch of amateurs. If you want to fight real men, real warriors, then we're willing to fight. So the Prophet it's very clear to him that there's no, there's no room for misinterpretation. Banu Qaynuqa, they have definitely breached the contract. What's interesting is that the Jews actually had in their minds a religious justification for their contract breach. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually alludes to this in the Qur'an. In Surah Ali Imran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ قَالُوا لَيْسَ عَلَيْنَا فِي الْأُمِّيِّينَ سَبِيلٍ وَيَقُولُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبَ وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ That is because they say, the Jews say, there is no blame upon us concerning the Gentiles. And they speak, the Jews, they speak untruth about God. They speak falsehood about God while they know, while they know it. What this verse is highlighting is that the Jews had this belief that they are not morally obligated to honor the terms and the conditions of a contract between them and a Gentile, between them and a non-Jew. You know, it's very similar to the mentality that some Muslims have today where they feel that it's okay to cheat someone or lie to them or take advantage of them if they're not Muslim. You know, oh, they're a kuffar, it doesn't matter. You don't need to, we, we don't need to, you know, uh, we can be dishonest with them. The Jews had that same mentality because the Prophet, 
was a non-Jew, because he was a Gentile, and because the Muslims were Gentiles, they saw them as inferior to them. And they did not, they did not feel, they did not believe that they were religiously liable to honor that contract. Because at the end of the day, the Jews see themselves as the chosen ones. All of the prophets in their minds have been Jewish. So they could not fathom the idea that you, there's a non, that God has changed his mind about prophecy, that now you have the final and the greatest messenger of God uh, as a Gentile, a non-Jew. So that's what's going on in their minds. The, the Medina Charter or the Constitution of Medina in the minds of many Jews was not binding upon them because they're not obligated to honor contracts with with Gentiles. Now, when you look at the Qur'an, you know, there are some people who, unfortunately, they cherry-pick some verses of the Qur'an and they try to make the claim that the Prophet and the Qur'an in general is, an, is, anti, is anti-Semitic in its language and its rhetoric. Now, there is no denying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does condemn some of the practices of the Jews. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also condemns some of the practices of the Sahaba. Allah is impartial. If Allah sees corruption, He will condemn it irrespective of that person's creed. So, the Qur'an, yes, the Qur'an does condemn some of the, the Israelites. But at the same time, you see the Qur'an also affirming the piety and the trustworthiness of individuals amongst the Jews. So for example, in Surah Ali Imran, verse 75, Allah says, وَمِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ This is a part of the verse. وَمِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ مَنْ إِنْ تَأْمَنْهُ بِقِنْطَارٍ يُؤَدِّهِ إِلَيْكِ And among the people of the book, the Jews and the Christians, is he who, if you entrust him, with a heap of gold and silver, with a heap of wealth, he will return it to you. So here in this verse, Allah says, there are Jews, there are Christians, there are members of the people of the book who are pious, who are God-fearing, who are trustworthy. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't negate that. There are God-fearing Jews, there are God-fearing Christians. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the majority of the Jews in Medina had great enmity towards the Prophet and the Muslims. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He warns them. And, and these verses are Medini verses, warning the Muslims to be cautious. Because many of the residents, especially before the advent of Islam, they always looked to the Jew, they looked at the Jews with great reverence. The Jews were highly respected by the Arabs as recipients of revelation. They were, uh, they were seen as religious, learned people. And when Islam came, many of the Muslims also had this reverence towards the Jewish community because there's so there are so there's so much commonality, and they have this this great heritage of prophets and scriptures, this rich history. 
And some naive Muslims, they automatically assumed that these Jews are our brothers, meaning that we can trust them in the same way that we trust our fellow Muslims because they're monotheists, they believe in Nubu'ah, they believe in Ma'ad. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here warns the Muslims, He warns the early Muslims that the Jews in Medina do not look at you with the same respect that you look at them with. Because they see you as inferior to them. You see them as equals, meaning that we are, we are all you know, servants of God, we're monotheists. You see them as the people of the book. You see them, you, you show them this respect and reverence, but unfortunately it's not reciprocated. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse 82, Allah says, لَتَجِدَنَّ So there's this, there's this emphasis, a double emphasis in this verse. لَتَجِدَنَّ أَشَدَّ النَّاسِ عَدَاوَةً لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا الْيَهُودِ وَالَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا So Allah tells the, the early Muslims in Medina who have these Jewish neighbors, you will surely find the most intense of the people in animosity toward the believers to be the Jews and those who associate others with God. Meaning, the enmity and the animosity that the Jews had towards the Prophet and the Muslims is no less than the animosity that the likes of Abu Jahl and Abu Sufyan had towards the believers. Now of course, we have to contextualize these verses. This doesn't mean that we can apply this verse you know, across the board to all of the Jewish communities around the world today. That's not the case. But we can definitely say that in the uh, me, in the Medani context, this was absolutely the case. That the majority of them held great, they harbored malice towards the Prophet. So the Jews in Medina, unfortunately, this happened very early on, perhaps even before the Battle of Badr. They begin colluding with Quraysh as a means of obliterating the new religion. So they didn't want to do it themselves, but they were... They were sharing secrets about the Muslims. They were giving information to Quraysh about the Muslims. And ultimately, they wanted to obliterate this new religion. Why? Because they want to, they want to restore their monopoly over the Medani economy. And that's essentially what it boils down to. The Jews are fine. You believe whatever you want. But if you're going to interfere with the power dynamics, if you're going to interfere with our markets, then we're going to have a serious problem. So the Jews in Medina began, they begin colluding with Quraysh as a means of obliterating the new religion and restoring the oasis of Yathrib to what it has been in the past. The Jews wanted to turn back the hands of time and go back to the good old days when they had a monopoly over the market. But now, unfortunately, in their minds, they see that there's this new there's a parallel power structure, a parallel economic power structure that's being built in Medina. And they're losing, they've lost, they've, these are people who've lost a lot of money, they've lost a lot of business. Because why should we pay tax in their markets when we can go and enjoy the tax free, the tax -free benefits of the market that the Prophet has had established? 
And this also goes to show you, brothers and sisters, that Muslims will never have real power unless they are economically self-sufficient. As long as Muslims are dependent on other nations to survive, they will never be able to live with dignity. They will always have to grovel at the feet of their uh, imperial masters. In any case, despite their obvious betrayal, the Prophet ﷺ ignores the, the threat. He doesn't engage them. He doesn't fight them. The Prophet ﷺ essentially waits for revelation. And this is where you see many ayat of Surah Ali Imran are revealed at this time. And Surah Ali Imran deals heavily with the issue of uh, Muslim relations with Jews and Christians. Allah says, so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about the Jews of Medina. It's very interesting here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls the Jews of Medina those who disbelieve. Now, in the Quran, kufr has different meanings. Kufr sometimes means that you reject the existence of God. That's one type of kufr. Another type of kufr is that you reject the idea of showing gratitude to Allah. This is kufranun ni'mah. When you reject gratitude, you don't have any gratitude towards Allah. And sometimes kufr is, one type of kufr is to reject obedience to God. You, you believe in God, but you refuse to obey Him. And this is the type of kufr that the Jews committed. They believed in Allah, but they were unwilling to obey Him with regards to accepting a Gentile prophet. A very uh, harsh warning. Allah says to them, You will be overcome and gathered together in hell, and wretched is the resting place. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses this very threatening tone with them. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says, قَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ آيَةٌ مِنْ فِئَتَيْنِ الْتَقَتَى فِئَةٌ تُقَاتِلُ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَأُخْرَى كَافِرَةٌ يَرَوْنَهُمْ مِثْلَيْهِمْ رَأْيَ الْعَيْنِ Allah says to them, Already there has been for you a sign. He's telling the, the Jews in Medina, that there has been a sign in the two armies which met, one fighting in the cause of God and another of disbelievers. They saw them, the disbelievers saw them, the believers, to be twice their own number by their eyesight. But God supports with His victory whom He wills indeed, and that is a lesson for those of vision. So the battle of Badr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling them that this should be a sign for you that I support those who fight in my cause, that I am supporting the Prophet and his followers. So don't think that this is someone who you can overcome. In fact, you will be overcome.
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here warns the, the believers, the mu'mineen. So again, the believers are, are back in Medina. They have their Jewish neighbors. Allah is saying, don't cozy up to them. Don't be gullible. Don't be naive. Ya amanu la min O you who, who believe, do not take as intimates, as intimate friends, those other than yourselves. Don't think that you can be best friends and be intimate friends with the Jews in Medina. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, for they will not spare you any ruin. They don't have your interests in mind. They wish you would have hardship. They have ill feelings towards you. Don't think that all oh, because they signed you know, this deal with us that we're all friends now. No. The reality is that they are not committed to that social contract. They wish, they're desirous for you to suffer. And then Allah says, قَدْ بَدَتِ الْبَغْضَاءُ مِنْ أَفْوَاهِهِمْ Allah says, hatred has already appeared from their mouths. They've already said things that indicates, that reveals that they do not share that sense of community with you. They have enmity. The enmity is already on their tongues. And then Allah says, وَمَا تُخْفِي صُدُورُهُمْ أَكْبَرُ You've already heard the hatred from their mouths. And Allah says, what is in their chest, what is in their hearts is greater than that. What they conceal is greater. Meaning the animosity that is verbalized is just the tip of the iceberg. The hatred that they have for you is much greater than what they reveal. We have certainly made clear to you the signs if you will use reason. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding the Muslims that you should not be gullible, don't be naive. You have a very dangerous enemy who is living beside you. You have to be vigilant. And then Allah says in verse 120 of Surah Ali Imran, إِن تَمْسَسْكُمْ حَسَنَةٌ تَسُؤُهُمْ If good touches you, it distresses them. The fact that you won the battle of Badr bothers them. They do not see this as a victory for Yathrib or Medina. They see this as a huge loss. Your victory in Badr caused them great distress. وَإِن تُصِبْكُمْ سَيِّئَةٌ يَفْرَحُوا بِهَا But if harm afflicts you, they rejoice at it. The best news that the Jews of Medina could have received is the Muslims were defeated in bed. That's the reality. وَإِن تَصْبِرُوا وَتَتَّقُوا لَا يَضُرُّكُمْ كَيْدُهُمْ شَيْئًا إِنَّ اللَّهَ بِمَا يَعْمَلُونَ مُحِيطٌ So what, what do you do? Allah says, if you are patient and fear God, if you have taqwa, if you fulfill your responsibility before Allah, their plot will not harm you. 
Indeed, God is encompassing of what they do. Now, after the Meccan defeat at Badr, Ka'ab ibn Ashraf. Ka'ab ibn Ashraf was the chief of the tribe of Banu Nadir. So he is the chief of the Jewish tribe of Nadir. And this again, this, this, this story shows you the length, the extent of the treason that was taking place. So after the Muslims defeated Quraysh in the Battle of Badr, Ka'ab ibn Ashraf, we're not talking about just an average Jew in Medina, the chief of the Jewish tribe of, Na, of, of Nadir, travels to Mecca. He travels to Mecca to recite incendiary poetry about the Prophet and his followers. He laments the Meccans who died at Badr and urges Quraysh to avenge their humiliating defeat. I mean, this is open treason. This is like someone who lives in the U.S. and they go to Russia, for example, and they incite the Russians to attack the United States. Imagine what a secular government would do to such a person. This is outright treason. Now in Medina, so you have the chiefs, a chief, of one of the Jewish tribes in Medina committing open treason, inciting Quraysh to retaliate, to avenge their humiliating defeat in Badr. You know, this is what the Prophet was dealing with. So to say that, oh, Rasulullah was, you know, was an anti-Semite, that's a cop-out. That's just simply not true. The Prophet he was dealing with treasonous people, whether they were Jewish, Christian, whoever they were. The Prophet ﷺ, at the end of the day, he's a prophet and he's also the head of state. He has to ensure that his borders are secure. He has to think about the safety and the security of his people. Otherwise, you don't have, you don't have a state. In Medina, Abdullah ibn Salam. Abdullah ibn Salam was the rabbi turned Muslim. He was the rabbi who had converted. And he belonged to Banu Qaynuqa. He was a member of that tribe. He informs the Prophet that his clan is plotting against the small Muslim community. So here the Prophet is receiving direct information from a man who belongs to the tribe of Banu Qaynuqa, that listen, Ya Rasulullah, my clan, I know my people, they're plotting against you. So the Prophet ﷺ, he receives some verses, he receives timely guidance from Surah Al-Anfal. Allah says in verse 58 of Surah Al-Anfal, وَإِمَّا تَخَافَنَّ مِنْ قَوْمٍ خِيَانَ فَانْبِذْ إِلَيْهِمْ عَلَى سَوَاءٍ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْخَائِنِينَ If you have reason to fear 
from a people betrayal, throw their treaty back to them. Meaning, Allah is telling the Prophet that, Ya Rasulullah, you can consider the social contract, the treaty, the pact with the Jews to be null and void. Indeed, God does not like traitors. Verse 59, Allah says, And let not those who disbelieve, here it's a reference to the Jews because they're, they're committing a, a, a type of kufr where they are rejecting God's obedience. They're fighting the messenger, which is a type of kufr. And do not let those who disbelieve think they will escape. Indeed, they will not cause failure to God. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet that you can announce that the, the pact is null and void. They breached the contract. They are not to be, they're not going to escape punishment, meaning that if you forgive people, you're setting a dangerous precedent. If you don't punish treason, you are enabling others. You're emboldening others to commit treason. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, لَهُمْ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ Verse number 60. And prepare against them whatever you are able of power and of steeds of war by which you may terrify the enemy of God and your enemy and others besides them who you do not know but whom God knows. So the Prophet Allah is saying that you need to you need to engage in a show of power and force. They have to be intimidated. They have to know that they are not messing with a weak prophet. They're not dealing with a pacifist. That these types of these types of crimes, high crimes like treason, will be punished. And then Allah says, وَإِن جَنَحُوا لِلسَّلْمِ فَجْنَحْ لَهَا وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ إِنَّهُ هُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمِ So prepare to fight, Ya Rasulullah. But if they incline to peace, then incline to it and rely upon God. If there is a way that you can avoid a military conflict, then do so. If they're willing to take a peaceful route, then take that route. Indeed, it is he who is the see it is he who is the hearing the knowing now there was one incident in particular that fully ignited the already existing tensions and it involved the harassment of an ansari woman some of the muslims they would venture out they would go to the the Jewish districts, the Jewish marketplace, to purchase jewelry. Because again, as we mentioned, Banu Qaynuqa, they were, uh, they used to sell the best gold and silver. They were goldsmiths and they were blacksmiths. So they, they had all of these products. So this Muslim woman, a woman from the Ansar, she waits for a Jewish jeweler. Another Jewish man 
nails her dress to her chair or he nails her dress to the wall without her recognizing, when she rises up, her clothes are stripped off of her and she's, she's naked, she's exposed. Some of the Jews begin laughing and making fun of her. There was a fellow Muslim who saw that this Muslim woman is being harassed. She's being sexually harassed by uh, some of the, the Jews of Banu Qaynuqa. So this Muslim man, he comes to her aid and he kills her Jewish assailant. Now, of course, they're in Jewish territory. A mob of Jews attack him and they take his life. They kill him. Now, if you recall, brothers and sisters, in the constitution of Medina, if there is a conflict, if there is bloodshed between the Jews and the Muslims, the case is to be brought to who? It's to be brought to the Prophet. The Prophet becomes the ultimate judge and arbiter. He is to mediate. So news reaches the Prophet that the, the Banu Qaynuqa, they harass this Ansari woman. There was, you know, a conflict and, you know, the, uh, there were some casualties. There were some deaths. There was a killing that took place. So the Prophet ﷺ, he tries to arbitrate the matter. But Banu Qaynuqa, they refuse to abide by the terms of their pact with him. They refuse to consider the Prophet an, an arbiter. So stubbornly they fortify themselves in their garrison, in their fortress. So the Prophet ﷺ with Hamza, with Amir al-Mu'mineen, they quickly mobilize a brigade to surround the Jewish fortress. Now, some of the leaders of Banu Qaynuqa, they had pre-existing alliances with Khazraj, the, the, the tribe in Yathrib. And they had a, relation, a relationship with Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Abi Salul, you know, the man who was uh, elected to be the ruler of Yathrib before the Prophet's arrival. And, and he becomes you know, the head of the Munafiqeen in, in Medina. In any case, uh, he's not able to do anything for them. The Qaynuqa stronghold, the fortress is surrounded by Muslim forces. And after a two-week standoff, the Jewish tribe surrenders. They decide not to fight. And in an effort to save face, you know, Abdullah ibn Ubay, he grabs the, the Prophet by the neck and he starts tugging on his coat and he demands that the Prophet lets them go. But of course the Prophet is not going to pay him heed. He's guided by revelation. The Prophet remains steadfast until Allah reveals how to deal with Banu Qaynuqa's betrayal. So Allah in verse 57 of Surah Al-Anfal, He says, فَإِمَّا تَثْقَفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْحَرْبِ فَشَرِّدْ بِهِمْ مَنْ خَلْفَهُمْ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَذَّكَّرُونَ Allah says, therefore, if you ever gain ascendancy over them on the battlefield, scatter them completely so that those who come after them will have a lesson to consider. So they surrender and the Prophet scatters them, meaning he banishes them. So Banu Qaynuqa, 
are banished from Medina for breaking several terms of the pact, and they ultimately resettle near the Syrian border. Now, what type of punishment did Qaynuqa expect? You know, after all, in the Jewish tradition, what would they have expected if someone, what would they have done to someone who committed treason against them? Now, it was expected. They, they expected the Prophet ﷺ to massacre the men and to take the women and the children as captives. And this was, this was the traditional punishment uh, meted out to traitors. Even, uh, and this is something that even the Jews would do if they were in a position to, to punish tra- traitors. But you see the Prophet ﷺ, he showed clemency. And he spared them. And he allowed them to leave, provided that the entire tribe of Ben Qaynuqa leave Medina immediately. Take whatever you can gather and leave. And you will be spared. Because under normal circumstances, treason is punishable by death. So the Prophet ﷺ, he allowed them to take most of their property and they go and they leave and they're expelled from Medina. Now a question that, that one may ask is, why didn't the other Jews intervene and help Banu Qaynuqa? You have you know, Banu Nadir, you have Banu Qurayza, you know, they're all cousins, they're all related to each other. What prevented the other Jews from intervening and helping Banu Qaynuqa? There's an excerpt uh, from a book, and I think this is a very beautiful answer. Uh, the author is Adil Salahi. Uh, he's a scholar who wrote, uh, a scholar or an academic who wrote a book titled Muhammad, Man and Prophet. And he speaks about the expulsion of Banu Qaynuqa. He says, this in itself could be taken as evidence of the blatant treachery of the Qaynuqa Jews. So he says, the fact that none of the Jews intervened can be taken as evidence of the blatant treachery of the Qaynuqa Jews. He says, the other Jews were no less hostile to Islam than the Qaynuqa tribe, although they did not show it at the time. So all of the Jewish tribes, they had enmity. They were hostile towards the Prophet and Islam but the other tribes concealed it better. He continues saying, if the case of treachery was not clear-cut, the other Jews would have at least mediated between the Prophet and their cousins. The fact that these tribes, the fact that Banu Qurayza and Banu Nadir remained neutral suggests that the Qaynuqa Jews would have lost their case, even if it has, even it had, even if it had been put to a Jewish jury. So, this gives you a sense, brothers and sisters, of the great challenges that the Prophet ﷺ was facing in Medina. The Prophet ﷺ was dealing with foreign enemies, and he was also dealing with domestic enemies. Inshallah, in our next uh, episode, 
we'll speak a little bit about more of some of the challenges that the Prophet was facing uh, in Medina. We'll speak a little bit about the time period before the Battle of Badr and uh, the Battle of Uhud. And inshallah, we'll uh, gradually segue into a discussion on the Battle of Uhud. Thank you so much for tuning in, my dear brothers and sisters. I look forward to having you join me uh, on another episode of the life of Prophet Muhammad. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.